Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're focusing in on six statements that Jesus made. Um, we're trying to focus in on some of the ones that are most impacting. Obviously, everything that Jesus said is important. Amen? Amen. I said everything that Jesus said is important. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, um, our goal for the series is to get our focus back on Him, get our focus back on the Lord. Obviously, we've all lived in this on the same planet for the past, uh, I guess it's um, almost eight months now, and a lot has been disrupted, a lot has been uh, shifted and changed in our lives. Uh, even we've even seen people's personalities change as they react to the current events of what's going on. Um, and so we need to get our focus back on him. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. We cannot have ourselves distracted, especially, especially in such an important time that we live in right now. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ right now, listen to me. I want you, those of you that are here, get your eyes, open up your eyes, look at me. Not because I want to be seen, because I want you to grasp what I'm saying. Those of you that are online, please pay attention to what I'm about to say. Right now in the history of mankind, the most important, the most vital, the most powerful entity on the planet right now is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that has the ability and has the power, has the authority from God to literally make sure that things shift in the right direction in our future. Amen? Amen. And so there's no better way for us to do that than get our eyes back on Jesus. Stop being distracted. Stop getting caught up with all the foolishness that you see. Shut the television off and open up the Bible. Now, I don't say that because I'm, 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 I'm wanting us to be to put our heads in the sand, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you pay attention, if you are constantly focused on the news, constantly focused on all the talking heads, you're going to get yourself distracted and you're going to get sucked into stuff that you don't need to be involved in right now. We need to be the church. We need to be praying. We need to be focused on Jesus. We need to be the one that is spending time praying for the lost, praying for those that are downtrodden right now, praying for the oppressed, praying for those that are hurt. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, last weekend, we talked about John 15. John 15, 1 through 6. I'm just going to give you the first couple of of verses and review um, this weekend. I am, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Jesus was illustrating the heart of the father. Okay, I'm just reviewing. We're going to get into part four in just a few minutes. But for those that were not here, Jesus was was showing the heart of the Father. The Father is the vine dresser, the one who takes care of the vine, the one who nurtures the vine. And that, that, that scripture there, if you read it just on surface value, it sounds like the vine dresser is going to take that branch and chop it off and throw it away. But we found this out last weekend, that when we read it in the original language, those words takes away can be can be translated lifts up and so now that makes sense that when a branch falls off the vine and is just wallowing in the mud wallowing in the dirt wallowing in the filth uh, the vine dresser comes along picks that branch up washes it off and gently very gently repositions it back on the vine so that it continue to bear fruit amen that's the heart of your father he doesn't throw us away when we make a mistake he doesn't throw us away when we fall into sin he doesn't throw us away or throw us into the fire when we step out of line when we fall off the vine temporarily amen Amen. how many of you glad that that's the way he is how many have fallen off the vine once in a while And so thank God that he cleanses us. He takes us out of that filter, that lower life, and repositions us to that higher life in him. So this weekend, we're, we're focusing in now on part four of six things that Jesus said. And this is more of a picture that Jesus is painting than actually what he's saying. He is the master teacher. 
He knows exactly how to speak to our hearts. He knows how to reach us. How many of you have had, I'm talking to those that are here and talking to those of you that are online, how many could think of a situation in your life that God did something so custom crafted, so personal, so individual, might not have meant anything to anybody else, but it meant something really strong to you and very impact. That's how he is. He knows exactly how to reach us. He knows exactly what wording to use. He knows exactly what picture to paint. And so here we are in John chapter 12. I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to go back and, and unpack this thing. And really, we're going to get all the, all the gold out of it. We're going to get all the, the flavor out of it. Uh, you know, there's uh, you know, one thing I noticed about um, maybe the, the, the last generation or so, two generations. Um, um, uh, nobody wants to eat the meat on the bone anymore. Say, where the heck is he going with this one? <laughs> nobody wants to eat meat on the bone anymore. People, everybody wants to have a boneless chicken breast because we just, oh no, get, get to all the like, skeevy parts out of the way and all the, the bones out of the way and steak. No, give me a piece of filet mignon. No, give me the one with the bone on it. Why? Because the meat on the, how many of you know the meat on the bone always tastes better? Okay, because you get in there and when you're done, I know every family has one of those when they're done. It's like, give me that bone. You left all the meat on it. Give me that, because I, I want that juice. I want to taste it. Somebody say, man, you sound like a caveman. That's okay. Because that's what I want to do with this scripture tonight. I want us to get in there and get dirty and get all the flavor out of it. All right. Boneless pork chops. You ain't had a pork chop unless you ate it on the bone. So we're going in. You ready? You ready? Good. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. It's talking about Passover. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, if you remember, in part one, I started the series off with this verse of Scripture. Now let's go to verse 22. And Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew told Philip, uh, and, and Philip told Jesus. They both went to Jesus. And it's like Jesus doesn't answer their question and doesn't answer their request. He said, there's guys here. They want to see you. And he's like, yeah, okay. But it's more important that they hear what I have to say. Okay? Now listen to this because this is one of the most important, impactful teachings that Jesus did. And again, I want to bring to your attention because this means so much to me. I, don't, I, I feel like every time I'm preaching, I'm, going, I'm, I'm telling you the same thing. These verses of scripture are so important. Why? John chapter 12, interestingly enough, comes before John chapter 13. 13. <laughs> Duh. But that's important because John chapter 13 starts to the, the, the account of the Last Supper. So John chapter 12 takes place just before they're going to the upper room to celebrate Passover. Again, I want you to grasp this, that Jesus is now wanting to impact them as much as he can. Why? He's preparing them for what's about to, to, what's about to come. He's preparing them for the fact that he's going to the cross. He's, they're going to they're they're see him suffer. They're going to see him give up his life. They're going to know that he got buried in a He's preparing them. Because their lives are about to, their whole world is about to get rocked. Okay? Now listen to what he chooses to teach them on this beginning of the path towards the cross. Verse 23, as if Jesus didn't even hear what they said. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, it doesn't sound like what he's going to go through is so glorious. But he knows what's he, what he's about to face in the coming days. Verse 24, I want you to listen to this. Let it form a picture on the inside of you. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. 
Now he's going to try to explain it. And when I say try, I don't mean that he's making an attempt. He's going to begin to explain what he means by this picture that he just painted. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Man, I, I just realized something. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus is not only preparing the disciples for what they're about to face. Jesus is preparing himself for what he's about to face. Because right after this, he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember after the Passover dinner, they all went to this garden. They went to this place. And at that place, we hear him battling over this very fact. Am I, gonna, am I willing to lay my life down? Am I going to lay my life down? Father, is there any other way we can do this? Is it possible for this cup to pass? Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Are you getting this? You, get it? you see how it's all fitting together? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This is important teaching. Now this passage seems like it's a lot more cryptic. You know what I mean by cryptic? It's a lot more hidden. It's a lot more uh, symbolic than what we have covered up until this point in this series. In the first series, we, we talked about Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, except through me. It's very clear. There's, there's no room for maybes or there's no room for misunderstandings. When he said in part two, when we studied part two, and he said, come unto me, all you who labor, and I'll give you rest. It's very straightforward. It's, you, you know what he's saying. Uh, last weekend, which we reviewed just a few minutes ago, I'm the vine, you are the branches. That's an easy picture to see. He's the vine. He's the one who supplies all life. We are the branches that extend from his life in order to impact this world around us. But what does all this talk about wheat and about dying? Again, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, just picture this now, unless a kernel of wheat a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, he said. In a short time, he'll be fulfilling his mission. The Lamb of God will be slain for the sins of this world. Again, he goes into this. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone. You're not going to grow any flowers if you have that little packet of flower seeds in your kitchen junk drawer <laughs> around on a shelf in the garage. Those seeds remain the way they were packaged until somebody takes that seed and buries it. You're not going to see flowers. Unless somebody takes those tomato seeds and plants them in that little Dixie cup, they remain one seed. But if they go into the ground and symbolically die, they'll burst forth and they'll produce life. He's using a very familiar life cycle of a seed to both identify himself as a seed and to point them to resurrection life. How many of us want to want to be want want to have resurrection life? How many want to have resurrection life? No life of no limitations, a life of of just power, a life of never having to worry about sickness and disease and everything else again. How many how many want that? How many if you if you're online just just put a message there in that little chat column. How many want that? How many come on? How many want that? Yeah. How are you going to get it? You can't have a resurrection until you have a death first. Something's got to die in order for it to be resurrected. Jesus is once again using a very natural illustration to reveal a supernatural concept and a principle. The seed, a seed is a container. It contains life within that hard shell, especially if you're talking about corn or wheat. You know, 
I like the popcorn kernels that get left at the bottom of the bowl. I like them, especially if they're just split a little bit because it's like you bite them and of course then you're like, <laughs> how many to, but how many of you also know there's a lot more flavor in that little kernel than there is in that fluffy little, it's like you bite down that thing and say, I like substance. How many like, I like texture. When I eat something, I don't like mush. I want to bite into something. I want to experience a flavor. And, and, and in that, every seed is a container. It has life in it. Are you listening to me? It has life in it. But, but it's not going to produce the life that it has until it is buried in the ground. It's got to be buried. It's got to die. It's got to, it's never going to resemble what it looks like on the other side of that process of burial. And church, I may be getting ahead of myself here in this teaching, but listen to me. You will never experience the true life that God has placed on the inside of you if you insist on being alive to yourself. Now, this is not the message that most of the church in 2020 wants to hear. Most of the church in 2020 wants to hear, pet me. Make me feel good. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how, how wonderful I am. Tell me, tell me that, you know, I got my best days ahead of me, and we believe that. But our best days ahead of us are going to come when you allow God to plant you in the ground and, and you, some of us have to go through seasons sometimes and trust me I feel like I've been through this one many times in my life already we've got to go through seasons where it's just you're buried and it's like nobody even knows you're around it's like no, just, it's just you and God and yeah you, sometimes you feel sorry just God it hurts so much and God nobody loves me everybody hates me I want to eat a worm <laughs> but those seasons sometimes in life are necessary God knew what he was doing when he, when he took the Israelites and brought them through the wilderness. They needed to die to themselves. They needed to die to the slave mentality. They needed to the die to the victim mentality. I'll say it again in case you didn't get it. They needed to the die. They needed to die to the victim mentality. Oh, we look at the Pharaoh's been whipping our backs and we got nothing to eat. And then two weeks later, they're going, oh man, we wish we had the garlic and the leeks and the onions that we used to eat. They were starving to death. They had nothing. And that's what we do sometimes. When we go through tough times, we start to romanticize the past. Oh, man, the old days were so good. No, when you were in the old days, you said that about the old days. <laughs> and none of them were any good. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. To hate one's life doesn't mean that you're suicidal. It doesn't mean that you've got this death wish. What he's talking about is when one, to, to hate one's life, to count our soul, our human nature, less precious than God's nature. Every day, every day. Say that every day. Every day, you and I have a choice if we're going to live our nature or we're going to live God's nature. What do you mean, Pastor? We're, we're born again. Yeah, you're born, your spirit's born again. But your soul is very active. Your mind, your will, your emotions, the way you've been programmed, the things that you've been exposed to from the time that you went, wow, change my diaper. From that point, you have a soul, and that soul's been programmed. And that's why you need the Word of God. The Word of God needs to wash all the old junk out. But if you insist on living, well, Pastor, I have my plans. See me in five years. Let me know how they're working out for you. You know, Pastor, I have my goals. I have my dreams. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm real impressed. Okay? But, you see, there's a young man that's sitting over here that this morning said something to me. He doesn't realize how important what he said was. He said, it seems to me that if I'm born again, if you're born again, that means something else had to die in order for me to be born again. And I went, 
This guy doesn't have a clue what he just said. Something has to die. Jesus said, unless you're willing to be like that kernel of wheat and let me plant you in the ground so that you get detached and disconnected from everything that's in this horrible world, you remain alone. But if you let him bury you, if you let him take you even through the hard seasons, if you let him develop in you what he desires to, to, to put in you, you at some point in time, you're in, that, in the ground and you're like, this is so uncomfortable. I just, I just want to bust out of here and just so uncomfortable. I just feel like God just got me in this place, got me in this shell, got me, got me just isolated. Yeah, there's a reason why you're isolated. He's working something in you. He's birthing something in you. He's causing that, that little uh, uh, thing that's on the inside of the seed, that little inner part that, that has to receive life. And all of a sudden now, you're buried. And let, let's, let's be honest with each other. If you want something to grow, you're going to bury it with fertilizer. Now you're starting to get the picture. Do I have to say it? There's a lot of that goes on in life and sometimes you get buried in the middle of all that fertilizer but there's something about going through fertilizer in life Paul called it dung there's something about going through the painful times there's something about going through the times when it feels like you're just on your own there's like nobody around it's like I just feel so 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 cut off yeah that poop, that fertilizer, that junk that you're going through is, is getting in on the inside of that seed. And at some point, that seeds begin to germinate. And, and you still may not see it. You still, if, so, if anybody was to walk by your life and they're like, there's nothing going on here. It looks like a graveyard. But, 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 but yeah, but in a garden, there's a big difference between a garden and a graveyard. In a graveyard, there's nothing going on underground. In a garden, oh man, all the vital activity of life is going on under the surface. And, so, and one day, all of a sudden, you walk by your kitchen counter and that little Dixie cup is there and you go, ooh, look at that. There's something green that popped through the soil. And then a couple of days later, it gets bigger and by the end of the week, you're like, Oh, I got to transplant this. Why? Because all that activity that was going on under the surface is starting to produce something above ground. The roots are going down deep and the fruit is coming up. You see the picture now? Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. And you want to know why? We need to get buried sometimes and we need to get isolated sometimes and we need to get disconnected from everything around us in that strange season of like because you're dangerous to other people until you've gone through that process of dying to yourself. You're dangerous. Why? Because all you want to live for is to fulfill your dream, fulfill your goal, fulfill, so everybody can see how great you are. Dangerous dangerous I'm going to keep preaching this whole process of hating one's life involves crucifying who we are on the inside the abandonment of our need to be seen and to be heard it requires just just give me one amen Amen. come on give me a good one because I know after this point you're not going to amen It requires death to self-promotion. It requires allowing Christ to live in us and through us. It it requires uh, putting away the former self. And that sometimes, listen, sometimes that former self can never be seen or heard again. Why? You're dangerous. We mess up people's lives until we go through that process. Why? Because we're in resurrection life when we come through, when we come out. 
We're, we're experiencing resurrection life. Why? Because we allowed him to plant us. Jesus allowed God to plant him. What do you mean God? Yeah, God. Well, no, no, it was the Jews that killed him. It was the Romans. That, no, it wasn't. It was God. According to Isaiah chapter 53, it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You want to blame anybody from Jesus, for everybody, anybody for Jesus going to the cross? It's God. But he knew, Jesus knew, that he had to submit himself to that process. Otherwise, you and I could never come into relationship with the Father. He's the seed. He's the seed. He had to go into the ground. He had to bury. He had to put himself aside. He said, he said to the disciples, I didn't come here to be served. I am among you as one who serves. You want to be the greatest? Be the least. Us? No, I want to be the greatest from day one. Tough message. I, I don't even expect anybody to say amen. I'm sure online right now went real quiet. Somebody's like, let me go check my Facebook page. <laughs> it's the process of molting. It's the process of shedding. It's the process of metamorphosis, where that disgusting, ugly, creepy caterpillar goes onto that branch and, and forms that, that cocoon thing there. And you're like, man, you are so ugly but it allows a process to take place. And at some point, there's a change. But watch this now. The caterpillar always had the butterfly on the inside. But until he's willing to submit himself to, to that, that slimy, disgusting cocoon, and he goes in there not knowing how long it's going to be. No phone. No watch. Us, you know, we're missing our phone for five minutes and we're like, oh my God, what's going on here? But when they come out, man, they don't even look like they did when they went in. And I'm telling you, church, if we will submit ourselves to that process and allow God to take us through the seasons of life and, and, and just say, here, here I am, just do, let's do it now, just bury me. Do what you got to do. Strip off what you have to strip off. Disconnect me from whatever you have to disconnect me because I want to experience your resurrection life. I'm not, I'm not telling you it's not painful. It's supposed to be. But the fact of the matter is most people live and die above ground. And because they live and die above ground, they never reproduce the life of God in others, much less themselves. The resurrection power of Christ can only follow death to self. Uh, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody, I don't remember who it was. And we were talking about what we never wanted to be. I remember having a conversation with, with my pastor years ago. Years ago. In fact, it was when he first took over the church that I had gotten born again in. And I said to him, I don't know how you do it. I could never pastor these people. I said, I don't know. if I was you, I would put big, bigger windows in the church so you can throw them out. <laughs> I said to him, I would never be a pastor. Never be a pastor. <laughs> and every time I'll never be a pastor, I didn't realize I was telling God, you better plant me deeper. You better push me all the way into the ground. I hope you understand what I'm talking about here. We automatically assume that because we have an idea of what we want to do with our lives, and because we have this grand vision that we think we really know how it's supposed to be, and it's like we want to go to God, now your plan looks okay, but I really, you know, this one, I like this plan. And he's like, come back and find me when you're done. His plan's a whole lot better. Why? He made us. 
He is the shepherd, the great shepherd of our souls. We're the sheep. He created us. He made you. He put certain things in you that nobody else on this planet could ever reproduce. Only you. Only you. Now, don't, don't make that go, oh, yeah, it makes me feel so good. No, it's not supposed to make you feel good. It's because the plan for your life is so customized that he's got to get you off of the idea of what you think you want to do. Or you'll never fulfill it. You'll never, and, and listen to me. You may get some temporary contentment out of fulfilling your own plan, but man, there is nothing like the sense of fulfillment when you walk in his plan. God, having gone through the pain, having gone through the, okay, I'm going to walk away from everything I thought I knew and everything I thought I wanted because I want your plan more. Jesus is wanting to, to, to the disciples to learn one of the most important lessons in the Christian life, and that is called the, the death walk. Well, you know, pastor, that sounds so contrary to everything else that Jesus said. You know, Jesus in John 10, 10 said he came to bring us life and more abundantly. Yeah. Oh, when you come out of the ground, oh, you're going to experience abundant life. You experience fulfillment. You experience what it is to know. Man, I'm walking in what the Father has. This is the whole reason. You, you get to the point where you say, this is the whole reason why I was created. Before then, it's always second-guessing, always second-guessing, always second-guessing. Jumping from one fad to another fad to another thing, to that thing, to this job, to that profession, to this. Oh, and then everybody has to go through at once, in, one time in life, at least the golden opportunity, the get-rich-quick scheme. And everybody says the same thing. Uh, but you don't know. These are all Christians in this company. And everybody's making six figures until everybody starts comparing their paychecks and they realize there's only one person making the six figures. It's the guy who started the thing to begin with. The life that's been deposited in us will begin to germinate, put down roots and spring, up, spring forth from the ground and produce fruit for others to enjoy. The fruit is always for others to enjoy. The fruit is always for others to enjoy. You're not getting it. You're going to go through the pain. You're going to go through the seasons. You're going to, go, you're going to feel that, God, I feel like everything on the inside is tearing me apart here. I don't even feel like I'm myself anymore. What's going on here? You're going to go through that pain because somebody that may be in your life now or may be coming into your life in the future, somebody needs what you have. But what you have is on the inside. And it's not going to come forth until you go through that process. It's about learning to let God live in us and let God live through us. He's wanting us to learn that death walk of dying to self, putting self aside, being obedient to God. There is something about obedience that just gets us to a place when you know that God's been dealing with you. How, how many of you have ever had this situation, okay? You know, God's been dealing with you about something, maybe about going to speak to someone or going to, to pray with someone or going to just tell him about Jesus or, or maybe God's been dealing with you to bless somebody. Maybe God's been dealing with you to, to, to make somebody's car payment. They might be out of work right now or maybe pay somebody's um, you know, mortgage payment for the month, whatever. And you're like, oh, man, I know he wants to do this. I, I know we, this is what he wants me to do. But I'm like, on the inside, you're going, you need that money yourself. Are you kidding me? They got a better car than you have. Yeah, just sit there like God's never done that with you. You yeah, all sit there like, oh, no, not me. I would have wrote the check out right away. Oh, yeah? Write it out. And, and you go through that thing where you don't, oh, man. And it's like every time you turn around, that person's face is right in front of your eyes. It's like, and, and, and you know God's dealing with you. He's, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's not punishing you. He's not, he's not trying to make life hard for you. He's trying to get you to go in the ground and die to yourself so that somebody else can get blessed. And then when you come out of that thing and you've learned what it's like to be obedient, how many of you have had to be obedient to God and then when you were obedient to what he said to do, you feel like a million bucks after that? Because you conquered. What did you conquer? What did you conquer? You conquered yourself. 
you conquered that unrenewed soul that God's trying to disconnect you from. He's trying to get you out of the old patterns of life. I'm saying you, I'm saying me too. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're getting this. We gotta be, we've got to train our soul to, to, to live for Christ's plans, to fill his, fulfill his desires, not our own. Not our own. The Apostle Paul received insight in, in, into this process. He saw, he understood how the Jesus of eternity became the Jesus of humanity. 100% God, 100% man. And Jesus, Jesus, is, Jesus always was, always is. He came down from heaven to this earth. Listen, knowing fully that he was going to have limitations placed on him when he came to this earth. The Jesus of eternity didn't get tired, didn't have to eat. The Jesus of eternity wasn't, wasn't affected by the stuff in this world. He wasn't tempted like we are when he was in eternity. But he comes to this earth he puts, Philippians tells us, chapter 2 tells us, he put aside his divine nature. Now, he only put it aside for a time, for a while, as he was coming here. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read you from the message translation. Listen up. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. What was he doing? That kernel of wheat was going into the ground to die. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that a crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God lifted him up high and honored him far above. That kernel of wheat went from being buried in the ground to coming up, resurrected for all of eternity. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. The need to hate my life or die to self is never finished in this life. It's just a continuous daily battle. One Bible commentator, a gentleman named A.T. Pearson said this, getting rid of the self-life is like peeling an onion layer by, upon layer and it's a tearful process. Paul understood this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. What's Paul saying? I know what it's like to be planted in the ground and die. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The original language says dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. There it is. That I may know him. And we are not going to know him until we go through that process of allowing ourselves to be planted, to be buried, so that the life of God that's in us can germinate split open that tough outer shell and shoot that sprout right through the ground so it can start to bear fruit. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection. Well, how are you going to experience the power of his resurrection unless you experience the suffering of his death? It's just not going to happen. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is the same Paul, 1 Corinthians 15 said, I die daily. He acknowledged that in order to fulfill God's plan for his life, he was going to need to die to the way he was thinking and to his own plans. His own, Paul's own plan was, I'm just going to round up all these Christians 
and locked him up and that's going to make God happy and he's going to like me. Paul, how did that work for you? Not very good. Jesus had to come on the scene in person and say, what are you doing? Stop this. You're persecuting me. I die daily. That echoes Jesus' command to those who want to follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now listen, to us the cross, it's part of who we are. It's part of our culture. It's been part of our culture for hundreds and hundreds of years. We wear it around our neck. We put them in our houses. We put them on top of our churches. It doesn't have the sting that it had in the first century. You know, in, 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 in Roman society, it was considered completely unacceptable to mention the cross in conversation because it was such a horrible death and it was a death that was reserved only for the worst of the worst of the worst degenerate criminals. For a rabbi to mention it in the first century was completely unheard of and shocking. The cross was a torture tool introduced by Romans to terrorize anybody who would speak against Caesar. The cross was a public humiliation that always represented death. And yet Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, take up that cross. What does it mean? What does it mean? They understood what he said. Die to yourself. Be willing to be humiliated. Be willing to be crucified, persecuted, mocked, made fun of, ridiculed. Be prepared for that if you're going to follow him. If we're going to follow him. Oh, you're, you're too much of a Jesus. Oh, what, what happened to you, man? You became such a Jesus freak. What happened to you, man? You're, just, you're not the same person I was. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. You, you know what they're saying? You know what they're saying? You changed. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if you, if you, if you, 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 you go in your garden and the plant and you pick up the plant and you, you uproot it and you go, Where's that seed? Where's the seed? What, where's, what happened to the seed? This doesn't look like anything I put in the ground. No, it's not supposed to. You're not supposed to. We're repulsed by the thought of death. It's not natural for us because we were created to live forever. But Paul gave his life to be planted like a grain of wheat so that he, having died to himself, would know Christ like never before. You know, when we're born again, we take full advantage of Christ's death, not realizing that in taking on his life, we're expected to die to our own. We're expected to hate this life in comparison to the life that Jesus offers us. Why? Why? Because somebody could be saying, somebody online or somebody here could be saying, but pastor, my, my life has been pretty good. My life has been good. It's like, man, things are getting better for me. Yeah, but it's still your life. And you can only accomplish so much on your own. You don't have what it takes to fulfill the ultimate plan that God has for you. Not, you have to let it go. What are you saying, Pastor? I got to completely impoverish myself? No, no, no. What I'm saying is it's not about what's out here that's got to change. It's about what's here that's got to change. When you get to the place when the stuff here on earth means more to you than your relationship with God, you are in trouble. Why? I'll say what I've said for years because someday you're going to take your last breath. You're going to leave this earth. You're going to leave this. You're going to leave that body. And you know what's going to happen? All this stuff that you spent your whole life feeling unfulfilled, but you needed that thing and that car and that furniture and that house and all this other stuff. You know what's going to happen? We're going to send a truck to your house, get all your furniture, all your clothes, all your kitchen items, and we're going to sell them at the thrift store. And all the stuff that you killed yourself day and night, that you spent time accumulating, somebody's going to buy for 10 cents on a dollar. And yet you spent your whole life going after those things that you thought made you feel good. And the more stuff you get, the less you feel good. I'll even take it further. And the more stuff you put on your charge card, you really start feeling bad about in about a month from now. He's trying to get us to the place 
of exchanging this lower life for the higher life that's in him. It is not by coincidence that what we're covering here in John chapter 12 happens just before the Last Supper. Because at the end of the night of the Last Supper, where does Jesus end up? This whole story starts in a garden in Genesis chapter 1, and this whole story finishes in another garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Are you listening? So now he's talking about seeds that have to get planted in the ground. And yet that night, he's going to take his disciples and go to a place that was known for the olive press. And the Garden of Gethsemane had olive trees from ancient times then. Some of them are still around today, the roots. And that was the place you went, and they gathered the olives. And olives are good, and they're tasty if you're going to eat them like that. But if you're going to cook with them, there's something that's very valuable that an olive contains. You know what that is? Olive oil. But there's a funny thing. There's only one way to get the oil out of that olive. You crush it under a heavy stone. You crush it and crush it and crush it. And then you get the oil out of it. And then you scoop up what's left. And now you put it together with the other stuff that you, that, that you had previously. And you put it back in. And now you put an even heavier mat on top of it. And now you crush it and crush it and crush it. And that's how the oil comes forth. And what is the oil always symbolic of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Jesus had to go to the olive press. So that he could pick up what he needed from the Holy Spirit. And that struggle. God, is there any other way for us to do this? Do I have to go to this cross? Do I have to suffer this death? Can we do this any other way? Is there any other way to redeem them? Yet not my will, but your will be done. The press, the crushing, the crushing. The path to life in God passes through a tomb. And on that path, there is no room for our goals and our desires in my life. What I want, what I, what I, I, I. And the other side of that tomb is a resurrection. I'll remind you, I'm wrapping this up. John chapter 12, verse 25, again. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life. Now, you see, those of you that are watching online, I pray that you can see that scripture. He, he who loves his life, that first word life there, and again, he who hates his life, that second word life there, is not the same word that you see at the end of that verse, eternal life. The, two, the first two words life are the words psyche, Sound familiar? It would read this way then. He who loves his soul, his personality, his way of doing things, his plans, his way of pursuing life, he who loves that is going to lose it. That's, that last word, life, is the word zoe. That's God's kind of life. Wow, does that read different now? Does it read different now? Yeah. He who loves his psyche, his mind, his will, his emotions, his personality, his character is going to lose it. But he who hates his or holds less precious or is willing to disconnect from or is willing to die to his way of doing things is going to find eternal life, Zoe life, God's kind of life. What's Jesus saying? What's, what's he been saying through this whole teaching? Jesus said, whoever loves his own plans, his own way of thinking, his own self will lose it. Whoever hates his own way of thinking, his own independent way of doing things apart from God will gain supernatural Zoe life. That's the abundant life that he's talking about. Free from human limitations, limitations rather, 
bursting with life to be reproduced in others. I hope you got this. I hope you got this because let me tell you something, okay? Everything else in the Word of God hinges on this principle. Everything else hinges on this principle. Now, some of us that are watching online or some of us that are in this room right now, you've had a lot of life experience and you've, you've pursued things that didn't fulfill. They didn't. You may be young, you may be older. But I pray to God that no matter what age you are, no matter what season of life you're in, you would be willing to say, right now, at this point in this message, I'm done. I'm done. I, 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 I know what I produce in my life. I'm done. I want to live his life. I want to finally, once and for all, tap into what he is, who he is, what he's got, what he desires for me to do. I'm tired of living this purposeless, unproductive rut. If he's got to bury me for a season, so be it. But I want, to, I, want, I want life to burst forth from the inside. Would you stand up, please? Just give me five more minutes, please. Because this could prove to be the most important, life-changing five minutes up until this point in your life. I don't know about you, but I, I can count at least three times in my life where I came to the point and said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of, of just getting so far and that's it. I want to bust out. I want to burst out. I want life. I want to experience his life. I want to, I want, I'm done with myself. I'm done with my decision processes. I'm done with my old life. I want to step into this new life with him. And if that means I've got to die and then he'll resurrect me and, and make me born again and make me a brand new person, whatever it's going to take, I'm willing to do that. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.